Welcome back to the Ed Morrissey Show podcast. Joining me once again, AJ Kaufman. He writes at lidblog.com. He writes for Arut Shiva. He also writes for a half dozen or more um, regional newspapers from Minnesota and Ohio to Tennessee and Virginia, and frequently shows up here on the Ed Morrissey Show podcast. AJ, great talking with you again. It's an honor to be here on, is it Francis Suarez launch presidential launch day? Uh, right? <laughs> tonight, tonight, yeah. live from the Reagan Library. Yeah, it's, um, yeah, we're recording this on, on uh, Thursday. Um, so by the time you all see this, Francis Suarez will have already jumped into the race. Um, you know, it's, it's silly. <laughs> I mean, I, I was joking around about Doug Burgum. Uh, Francis Suarez is uh, even more of a, I don't want to say fringe, he's not a fringe guy, but this is a not terribly serious um, effort. I don't remember the last time a mayor, I, I think it's happened before, but I don't remember the last time somebody went from being mayor to being president. In fact, I'm not sure that it has happened. Have we had that before? I'm not sure that that's certainly, it certainly wasn't Rudy Giuliani uh, back in 08. That fizzled out pretty quickly. It was not Rudy Giuliani. I'm thinking it might have been like a 19th century sort of person uh, who who may have made that uh, may have made that climb, but uh, I I can't even I can't even imagine who it might have been. Uh, well, let's talk a little bit about the 24 race, and obviously there's some context to the this week with you know the indictment of Donald Trump and how that might play into this. But we can talk more just about the field itself. A uh, fairly robust field, I think. Um, you know, even Burgum um, is at least a, you know, a Republican governor. He's running a very Republican state. It's a guy who's made his own fortune. He's a self-made guy, I think, if I remember correctly. Yeah, absolutely. But the thing about Burgum, I don't want to spend too much time on just Burgum, but the thing about Burgum is that he hasn't really done anything to make himself to give himself a national profile before running for president. Christy Noam, who is the governor to the South, has done a lot more in building up a, a national profile. And I think that I'm always leery about somebody who's trying to jump into a presidential race who's never even bothered to engage on, on national politics. It's fine if he's you know, minding, a, minding his own business and doing the state's business in North Dakota. But I think it's, you know... So let me put it this way. If you haven't been tested in the national politics fire, I really don't think that your first um, attempt to uh, acclimate yourself to that <laughs> should be a presidential election. Um, I think you run into the same sort of thing that um, we sort of saw with Mehmet Oz in the Senate race in Pennsylvania, which was that he eventually became a pretty decent campaigner, but didn't come in time to help him out and it was bumpy along the way and i don't think republicans can really afford that well oz was never a governor that's for sure he was whatever he was um he was a snake oil salesman we don't need to get into that debacle right. um, asa hutchinson hasn't obviously done anything at the national level and he's obviously polling no better or worse than Burgum, who who is a great story he did come from a farm town in rural north dakota and became a billionaire when he when he sold his business, uh, he was a you know developer, uh, and of course he's been a good governor, as, as evidenced by the success of North Dakota, and of course with Christy Noam, the success of South Dakota. These are states that are growing, even though they both have under a million people, I believe. But having lived in Minnesota, a lot of Minnesotans 
have moved there and would like to move there because of the freedom and the conservatism and the success they've had. So no one probably might be holding out for vice president, to be honest. Let's that's that she's certainly in the top four or five um options, especially if Trump is the nominee. But um yeah, what, I, look, but I think that's what Nikki Haley's trying to do too. To yeah, you know, I disagree. I disagree. People have mentioned this a lot. I and I could be wrong, but I've I've been pretty good at at reading um the Trump world, if you will, and his choices. I don't think he'll pick anyone from the field because they've all been deemed disloyal. And that's kind of how he feels about these people. So I think he would go yes. with the gnome, uh, Kim Reynolds of Iowa, Elise Stefanik type, and, and maybe Crazy Carrie Lake, which would be a, a bad choice. But um, his his group definitely likes Carrie Lake. But uh, Doug Burgum is, you know, it's in a in a in a normal world. I, I think I told just an email in a normal world, Doug Burgum would be a really solid presidential option um, because he's been a successful governor, and probably be a a darn good president. But obviously, I don't think he has much of a choice or chance. Um, nor do some other decent candidates. And Chris Sununu was the other one that didn't get in. And I'm glad he didn't because he kind of understood where we are and trying to limit the field. And he's pr pretty young still and he'll wait his turn, so to speak. Um, but I, I, you know, I think a governor, I guess it depends what state you're from, because we certainly don't see that problem with Ron DeSantis. Now I realized he was a U.S. congressman um, or Gavin Newsom, who will run probably next time, if, if not this time, <laughs> um, and, and other uh, oh. governors who have been, who've toyed with presidential ambitions in the past. I, Chris Christie, obviously, would be another one who ran after having only been a governor in terms of his political career back in 2016. I think he was an AG in New Jersey before okay. he was governor too. So, I mean, he'd been, he'd been around for a bit and, and he had built up sort of a, a national profile as governor yes. prior to running for president. Right. Mm -hmm. And, um, so, I mean, I, I, Ron DeSantis certainly has, and he's had to, because it's different being governor of Florida with 29 million people than it, maybe it's more than that now, um, and being governor of North Dakota, which is probably what, 5 million people, 4 million people. It's, no, it's uh, under, under a million, under a million. Is it under a million? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, mean, yeah. I mean, Minnesota only has 5 million people. Yeah, I thought that they were roughly similar in terms of popular. Well, that goes to, just goes to show you. It sort of, sort of further underscores my point. There's a big <laughs> yeah. difference between being governor of 29 or 30 million people, whatever it is for Florida right now, and being governor of a million people. Right. I mean, it's still governor. You're still doing state business, but it's just the stakes are different, and and the media interest is different. And Ron DeSantis, and I'm not, I'm not, you know, endorsing anybody in this thing, but it's just a matter of fact that Ron DeSantis has been in the national politics mix now for several years, not even counting the stuff he did in Congress where he's one of 435 people. I'm talking about as governor, almost immediately after winning in 2018 by the skin of his teeth, um, he's been in the national politics mix and he's, so he's tested. He knows what that's like. He knows what the media is going to be like. He understands how to handle the media. Um, I don't know that Doug Burgum has gone through that. You know, the, the media has gone through DeSantis's background. They certainly tried to do it when Charlie Chris was running, <laughs> running against them. And that, that didn't work out well, but, but, but just, so we're not just talking about DeSantis here. I mean, the same thing's true with Tim Scott. Now, Tim Scott is not a governor. He doesn't have political executive experience, but he's been around a while. And, um, and he has, I mean, I think Tim Scott's got a lot of talent and yes. I really enjoyed his, his, his I, I like that he's running, he's running as a happy warrior. Um, Ron DeSantis is not, 
really, except for when he boasts about Florida. He's not running a, a positive campaign because obviously you're attacking Joe Biden as the incumbent president. Trump right. obviously is not running a, a positive campaign. I won't even say that Nikki Haley is running much of a positive campaign. I, Tim Scott, from the time he announced through his 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 speeches and of course his now famous, I guess, interview, at least famous in our circle, interview on The View about a week and a half ago where, where he, not, he, not only did he do well, but he proved last week that going into a hostile adversarial media environment is good. I think he knocked it out of the park. Yep. Um, and I think that we've seen a few others, I mean, Christie in the past, and, and 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 Haley's been on CNN and others have. Pence has gone on CNN. But um, again, I'm not criticizing DeSantis or endorsing anyone, but DeSantis is not going to do adversarial mainstream legacy media yet. He's going to go on friendly media, whether it's Fox or Eric Bowling or whomever. Maybe he'll go on. He went on Hugh Hewitt, I believe. And that's DeSantis went on Hugh Hewitt, I think, this week or last week. It could I be wrong. I think it was this week. I think it was this yeah. week. And that's He's been friendly on media. Yeah. Friendly media, but, and you know Hugh, one of the best interviewers in the country, Hugh Hewitt. So I think that's right. a good choice to go on that. And Nikki Haley went on there too. And so did other candidates. So yeah, I think Scott's running a good campaign. Unfortunately for him, Trump and DeSantis are right there at the top. And even when, even if he makes the South Carolina, he may have to go against a fellow state resident and former governor Haley if they're still both around. So it's, it's tough to have Haley and Scott both in the race. And that's why the field, I don't, I, I've told you before, I didn't want a 26 person field or 16 like we had last time, 26 like the Democrats did, but I don't mind the competition. Um, we know that even if Trump's getting 35% in most polls in certain states or 40, more than half the Republicans are considering other options and considering Trump's age and his record and what's going on, I think it makes sense. It just matters. It doesn't matter when you get in or if you get in. It matters when or if you get out. And I think Sununu pointed that out in an interview. It said, if you have no viable path by certainly by Thanksgiving or the end of this year, you probably need to get out if you want to minimize the field so that someone can go either head to head with Trump or get it down to three or four candidates for Iowa. I think it's going to I think it'll settle out. And I'll tell you the reason why I think it'll settle out is because I think that donors will more or less dictate yeah. that. Yeah, I think you're right. Um, you know, and the other the other thing here is that first off, Trump just has a massive fan base, and he's making you know he's he's raising money off of off of the indictment. You know, last couple of days he did a uh, fundraiser, and has been making some making some cash on that. I think he made like two million dollars over the last couple of days after the arraignment. Um, I'm not necessarily sure where they're putting the money. I suspect some of this is going into into ne necessary legal defense work, right? Which is legit. I'm not, you know, that's 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 actually a legit campaign expense. But I think that a lot of it's going to go into that. I think DeSantis, at least, you know, I don't know if you saw the New York Times report on this, but DeSantis and his Never Back Down pack had apparently about $200 million between them, and they're building a ground organization. Now, I wrote about ground organizations and going red. The one in Iowa and New Hampshire, those, those two ground Iowa and New Hampshire, but they're talking about all the battleground states are going to start hiring people in all the battleground states, right. the primary battleground states, and then maybe expand it as, you know, as they get more and more uh, donors. And I think when you build those organizations, they tend to attract more donors because donors look at it and say, that's where my money's going. Um, Tim Scott, I think, actually started off with a pretty decent amount of money for a primary campaign. I think it was 22 million he had raised up to the point of his official announcement, which is a pretty decent amount. 
I don't think Haley was up that high. I could be wrong. I don't have all the figures in front of me, but I think after that, it drops off, right? You're not, I mean, you might, how much money is uh, Mike Pence going to raise? How much money is, you know, I, I like to tease about Asa Hutchinson. He was a legit governor. His his time of relevance, though, was roughly the same as Chris Christie's and Mike Pence's, which was, you know, two. interesting. Yeah, it's interesting. Yeah, Pence has the the bonus of being the vice president. Uh, otherwise, he well, he wouldn't be running if he hadn't been vice president. OK, but here's the thing about that. Right. He was vice president under Donald Trump. So if you're arguing, I mean, this is the point. This is the part where I don't understand the the Pence argument for 2024. And it's not because I don't like Mike Pence. I actually really like Mike Pence. I've met him several times. He is a very nice guy. Um, he is a um, he's a guarded sort of guy. He's a guard. He's guardedly nice, but you know that's comes from learning about politics, right? That you have to be careful about things. But he's a very nice guy, and um, he's a very gracious guy. And I think he's smart, and I think that he is a. I think his vision of conservatism is pretty good. But it's been years since this guy was on his own a force in the Republican party. And he just spent four years basically serving Donald Trump, right? So if you're gonna say, well, he was vice president, uh, let's make him president. Well, if you wanna go back to those four years, you've got Donald Trump in the race, right? Well, so I, I, you yeah, vote for I, Donald I, Trump. I see if your you point. Want, if you don't want Donald Trump, if you wanna change in direction, Mike Pence isn't the change in direction. Well. I see your point, although obviously Trump picked Mike Pence because they're very different people, um, yes. different, different ages, different backgrounds, different beliefs. There is there is a there are different bases, different yeah, bases, right. Right? Basic. Yeah. There, there are there are policy differences between the two. Absolutely. Um, heaven forbid we talk about policy in this campaign. Oh, my God. I mean, you know, rather than <laughs> indictments all day. I mean, I'm a policy wonk like you. I would like to hear 99 percent of the discussion be about policy. But Pence has said many times he's obviously he breaks with Trump when it comes to January 6th. I think his either his exact words or someone's exact words were Trump thought it was a great day. I thought it was a terrible day. I mean, it's not that cut black and white, I guess. But um, yeah. he obviously breaks with him when it comes to Ukraine. Also, not that Trump is anti-Ukraine, but he's I want both sides to do well or no one else to die. It's a very vague statement he's made and pence is obviously with the haley scott wing of being very pro-ukraine i will i will i will put it this way is i think donald trump is trying to be as non-interventionist as it's possible to be in american politics in this mm -hmm. thing and you know haley pence i think to a certain point desantis although desantis is a little less yeah, he's, uh, he's in that direction but i think that they are articulating a, a if not an interventionist then certainly a a a well I you know you got to call it interventionist even though you're not inserting American troops into that you're inserting American materiel into that war by you know billions and billions of dollars of American materiel it's not a secret who we're supporting in this and that's in itself an interventionist policy and I think Trump is trying to carve out the non-interventionist policy because there is a pretty decent base in the Republican Party that wants non-interventionist policies that's sort of like the Ron Paul. Yeah, uh, wing Ron of the Paul, party. without getting into overtly, you know, almost anti-Israel rhetoric, like Ron Paul would get into. It's a Semitic. <laughs> yeah, I tried hey, to do that. There was a yeah. lot of there was a lot of problems with Ron Paul and his. Oh yeah. Group. But we're, Ron, we're, by the way, we're referring to Ron Paul, not Rand Paul. For not Rand people. Paul. Rand. Rand. <laughs> is, people get confused. Very. He's a very different guy. He approaches this very differently, and I credit him for that. Yes. Um, 
he is his own man. Rand Paul is his own man. I'm not judging Rand by his father. I'm talking about Ron Paul. Yep. Um, but that doesn't, just because Ron Paul was a nut and was, you know, into all sorts of different weird conspiracy theories and stuff like that, doesn't mean that the non-interventionist policy <laughs> is illegitimate. I don't necessarily tend to agree with it, but I think it's complete. It's a completely legitimate. Yeah, I, I don't disagree. I, I think you're right. Um, whatever Trump policy Trump does have on it, he is leaning toward the non-interventionist side, as is Vivek, his, his proxy candidate, as I call him, who seems to basically, he might be running for vice president or it's an interesting campaign. It's a very smart guy, but he's clearly running with Trump. It almost seems like, as evidenced Tuesday again in Miami. But he's yeah. running for the for the the, cake, the Carlson Cable News wing, and and we're, we yeah. we've discussed this last time, and you and I agree on a lot when it comes to foreign policy. So we can leave it at that. But I think Pence's policy wise is different than Trump, and I think January sixth because he was in the arena, literally, figuratively, um, also was the one who they wanted to hang that day. And because he basically became de facto president the final two weeks of the term, I sometimes call Pence the 46th president because he basically ran the country for two weeks when Trump abdicated the throne after January 6th. Um, and um, that, that's what I'm talking about. So that's why I think he's in the race. And Iowa, and I, of course, would be his. And I think he deserves a lot of credit for what he did on January 6th. But this is the problem for him, mm -hmm. right, is that he basically severed himself by standing up for the constitution and doing the right thing on January 6th, he basically severed himself from Trump's base, you know, the base that he had courted for four years. That, while that verb severed, you got to be careful with that verb severed there. Oh, damaged. I don't know. I know <laughs> he is, he is cast out. A alienated perhaps. He is cast out from MAGA. How's okay, that? Thank you. He's been cast out from MAGA and there's not a whole lot of traction anywhere else in the race. I mean, Look, I love the Heritage Foundation, right? And like you, I'm a big policy guy. I love good policy. And I think that we really have to run on good policy. But do you think that, and I don't mean this as a knock on Heritage Foundation, I'm just sort of using them as a proxy for think tanks in general. Mm -hmm. Do you think that a Heritage Foundation candidate would stand a chance of getting above 3% in any of these in any of these primaries, I mean, even on a state by state basis, nobody's I mean, interested in that. Nobody's I mean, interested. Yeah, I don't. I mean, yeah, you're using heritage in general because I don't know if they've endorsed anybody or if they like to. No, say no, 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 no. And, and I, I will tell you specifically that they will never endorse anybody. Heritage, right. heritage action might, but they're not going to do it. They're not going to. I don't think they'll ever do that in a primary. But Heritage right. Foundation itself is a, it, you know, it's 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 supposed to be non part. Well. They can't do endorsements, and I don't okay. mean to suggest that they are. I'm just talking about the Heritage Foundation model, right? The sort of the, well, like Mike Pence in 2006, right? or, my, or, or 2008, or Mike Pence in 2012 uh, might have been. Um, Asa Hutchinson might have been, although I'm not sure that Asa was really that parallel to that. Um, I, I think it really is, I think that in this time, you need somebody who's willing to be more populist in order to attract more voters back to the Republican Party. And Donald Trump figured this out in 2015 and 2016. Um, and I think that that lesson has been learned. And that's the reason why DeSantis- well, I was gonna say, that DeSantis has got this delicate balance he's trying to get involved where he's, he's obviously not criticizing Trump outright. He's gonna respond occasionally. We, we discussed how long he's gonna wait, what has you, have you, but when it comes to the indictment, um, Haley and Scott had some tepid criticism. Haley talked about her husband, who was a major in the National Army National Guard for South Carolina. I was Carolina. surprised 
I was actually surprised that Haley was out in front on that. To be yeah, honest, yeah. Well, she did say. I, I think she said she's a military spouse. My husband's deploying this weekend. He'll be gone for almost a year. That's pretty much the whole campaign if she stays in it. And she said it puts our military men and women in danger in terms of strategy. So obviously, she's willing to say what the indictment spells out. She called it. I think she's the one who called it reckless. Tim Scott had a different term. Um, he said it was. Um, Serious allegation, and they, of course, said, but you're innocent to proven guilty. Pence, of course, criticized it. Um, but then, of course, DeSantis is sort of, you know, he has this strategy where, let's put it this way. DeSantis, as I recall, and he's still around, so it's not like this is the past. DeSantis has basically, um, his whole idea as a can has been that he's he takes on the tough issues in Florida. He challenges people, right? He's right. out there fighting the woke, uses the word woke quite a bit. And... You know, all of a sudden, when it comes to going after Donald Trump, and I realize it's slightly different, he's reticent to do that. He's reluctant to do this. And well, I'm, I'm going to if, if he found anything to criticize regarding the classified information stored at Mar-a-Lago or wherever, he's keeping it to himself. And my point is, Ed, I don't think anyone who currently supports Donald Trump is going to current change their vote to Ron DeSantis because he's been such an effective defender of Donald Trump. No. Does that make no, sense? I, and I agree with you. I agree with okay. you. However, I think what Ron DeSantis is doing, and I think that this is smart, <laughs> is he's trying to return this back to policy. Yes, and that would be good. As a policy, as a policy guy, I appreciate this. Now, did you see the um, Real Clear Politics? Philip Wegman um, uh, wrote about this, about the um, the developing plan he has for reforming the Department of Justice and the, and the FBI. And this was maybe two days ago. Might have been on Monday. Uh, Wegman wrote about this. It was an exclusive. It was a scoop. He had gotten, you know, he had gotten inside access to this. Clearly, the campaign was, you know, <laughs> part of the sourcing on this. Just if you read this, you can read between the lines and, and and know that the campaign wanted this out. And the argument here, I think, from DeSantis is, this is Donald Trump's problem, but what I want to do is fix it so it doesn't come up again. And that means depoliticizing the Department of Justice. He's talking about relocating it to someplace outside of the Washington, D.C. area. Yeah, no, it's that's all. That's all well and good. I think that's good. People like hearing that. When it comes to policy, though, it's interesting. We don't talk about Ukraine necessarily, but the policies yeah. he's talking about are sort of still a little bit in that realm of culture war. You know, I get I understand that's yeah. the core of his appeal is the culture war. Um, he was talking about he'll appoint better Supreme Court justices than Trump. Which is interesting because Trump's choices for the Supreme Court among conservatives are probably the least vulnerable part of his presidential record. Um, yeah, and- I think that's an attack on strength. There's there's a there's okay. a there's a strategy about that about you attack your opponent's strength so as to neutralize it. Okay, I hadn't thought of that. The the other one I heard him say he was speaking before a state party convention in in North Carolina. Maybe if I'm wrong, forgive me. And he it must be North Carolina because he pl- he pledged to. Re, listen to my words closely, re-rename Fort Bragg, which has been renamed Fort Liberty, and he wants to bring it back to Fort Bragg. Yeah, that's so it's stupid. like That's just dumb. <laughs> that's culture uh, words. Just, just, just leave that alone. First off, I object. To, I mean, right. I, for tearing down statues or anything else like that, I don't understand why we're honoring Confederate, you know, figures with these naming things. I mean, it's just, it's for federal stuff. I mean, well, you got I, I would argue for state stuff. Yeah, yeah. Well, again, you know, the same thing. That's here in Texas. Well, and, and the best part, and I was thinking about this because I'm a history guy. Is he? Is DeSantis wants to expend his political capital, you know, in the, as a president by 
going to the mat, so to speak, for Braxton Bragg, who was one of the most hated men in the Confederacy and a really lousy general. Like, pick yeah. a better Confederate general, dude. Right. I mean, again, <laughs> what, are, what are you arguing here? That what we should turn thought of that? Confederacy? <laughs> we should, uh, he's used to being in the South, and I think that's part of it. And that's yeah. also part of his strategy with the, with the justice. So just really qu quickly on that, because sure. I want to talk about, I want to change topics here in just a second. Sure. But I mean, I think that there, you know, I think that Donald Trump did a good job of picking judges broadly and filling slots by, and by which I mean, Mitch McConnell and he worked good as a partnership to do that, right? Yes. And, and Donald Trump largely just went off the recommendations from the Federalist Society for these things. And that's fine too, because the Federalist Society is pretty smart. Heritage would have been smart too. Um, just, just make sure that everybody understands I've got nothing against, I love the Heritage Foundation, actually. They're great folks. Ed has nothing against the Heritage Foundation. Everybody listening, all of you people listening, nada. Nothing, Con nothing. Contra, I, Foundation I, I, de Heritage. I actually did some, this is years and years and years ago, I actually did some work for the Heritage Foundation for a few months, and they're great. They're, mm -hmm. they're, they're absolutely awesome. Um, but his point was, I don't have to go to the Federalist Society to find out who good judges are. You can see from my track record down here that I'm very capable of figuring this out on my own. Plus, um, he's picking up on uh, some dissatisfaction after the fact with the people that Trump did pick. I mean, Brett Kavanaugh, and I warned people about this. I mean, you know, the Democrats went nuts on Brett Kavanaugh, thought he was the end of the world. And I was saying, if you look at his record, he's an institutionalist. This is a guy who's going to be basically John Roberts Jr. Absolutely. He's replaced John Roberts as the, I don't want to say swing vote, but he's not a radical. We saw in the Alabama ruling, he sided with the liberal judges on that. Right. I could have told you that, that I could have told you based on his track record that that was was going to be. It doesn't make him a bad justice. It doesn't even make him not a good justice. He is a good justice. Um, and he got a... You know, he got a, a a really raw deal on his uh, confirmation process. And so I don't have any problems defending Brett Kavanaugh, but he's not Alito and he's not Thomas. Amy Coney Barrett it was a good choice, but she's also not Alito. She may end up being Alito. She may end up being Thomas, but at least at the moment, she's not. And that was his point. I won't know. I, I would appoint people like Alito and Thomas. I would hold out for people who are willing to hold the line on real conservative uh, you know, judicial, um, uh, you know, concepts. Um, there's nothing wrong with that. I mean, I, I think it's, as any attack on strength has, it carries risks um, because there was so much passionate um, advocacy for Kavanaugh and Amy Coney Barrett in particular. Um, you know, I, I haven't mentioned Gorsuch, but Gorsuch is kind of an oddball, right? He's kind of a libertarian. I was going to say, he's he's a he's a, a textualist, and uh, he's kind sort of a little libertarian streak. He's probably the smartest justice, honestly, the best writer. He, he might be. and he doesn't but, always come up with the views that everyone on the right likes, but I think he's a phenomenal judge overall. You no, know, that thing with the, that thing with the uh, tribe in Oklahoma, I mean, I, I see his point on that, but man, that was a, that opened up a hornet's nest of problems for Oklahoma that the Supreme Court's going to be unwinding for years and years and years down the road and didn't make conservatives very happy. And so I think that there's room to go against Trump's strength there. And again, I think that's a, a pretty common strategy. All right, let's move on from the 2024 um, presidential campaign 
to what's going to happen at Dodger Stadium on uh, Friday night. Now, the, we're recording this on Thursday, but it'll be up on the site before this, this takes place. I used, I, I was born and, and bred a Dodger fan, man. I grew up in Los Angeles. I bled Dodger blue. Uh, Tommy Lasorda and Vince Scully were my heroes. Uh, you know, Garvey, Lopes, Russell, and Say, man, that, that infield was, was the creme de la creme. I think, I thought they all should have been all-stars all the time. Um, I lived and died by the Dodgers when I was living in Los Angeles and I could go to the games. This is not the same team, man. The O'Malley sold it. Um, Vince Scully and Tommy Lasorda are gone. They're, they passed away. And this team, I don't, I don't know what this is. <laughs> they're wearing the, they're wearing the uniform. I don't recognize the team. Man. Well, they're they're you know they've been winning in recent years, but obviously, well, I, I don't recognize that out. either. <laughs> right, I still haven't figured out if some some naive progressive intern is behind this. But obviously, for those of you who don't know, they invited, they invited, then disinvited, and then reinvited a few years later. Um, the two days later, <laughs> two days later, the sister yeah. remind me the name perpetual. Indulgence. The sisters of perpetual indulgence, which is an anti-Catholic. Right. Uh, you know, drag religious imagery to mock Catholicism and call attention to sexual intolerance or transgender, pro-transgender, pro-gay, whatever it might be. They're a group of bigots, you would we could easily argue. Um, they're certainly not tolerant and certainly not inclusive, which is the model of every sports franchise these days. And, you know, obviously the Biden administration, last I checked, Joe Biden is a Catholic, although he has some views that are uh, in opposite to Catholic teachings, you might say. Um, and his party has zero trepidation that he will ever restrain their anti-Catholic views on abortion and, and others. Um, he's been a gleeful observer. I called him that in my article about this, a gleeful observer of the continuous denigration toward those who adhere to traditional Catholic doctrine. And I'm a Jew and I know this. <laughs> so these, these folks, these folks are going to be the, uh, at the Dodger stadium pride night. Every team has a pride night whatever it is what it is they all have it this is gone you know, to- i don't really have an objection to pride night i mean i get that the los angeles dodgers is a secular organization and i get mm-hmm. that they have you know lesbian and gay fans and i i mean i don't object to that that's fine what i object to is the inclusion of a hate group as it, you know to receive honors it, it didn't even have to be on pride night it could have just mm-hmm. been some other night and if they invited the sisters of perpetual indulgence to celebrate them as community heroes i'd have the same damage objection just happens to be on pride night yeah it's it, and the, the city's a third catholic we've discussed it large hispanic population large catholic population um i don't have much else to say my article's up at lidblog.com about two weeks ago yeah, and great basically you know this is this is a this is a Democrat party, we can get a little political here, that has been harassing Catholics for decades from the Obama administration with the Little Sisters of the Poor under Obamacare to FBI memos that were looking at radical traditionalist Catholics, potential terrorist threats. Diane Feinstein, back when she was still semi-cogent, she told Amy Comey Barrett that the, the dogma lives loudly in you. I wrote yeah. the end of my article because I, I, I married to a Catholic. You know, the irony is the Catholic dogma has no authority over any American today. You know, the, and that's maybe that's probably a good thing. The point is, abortion policy. Come on, it was handed back to the people in the states. The Catholic dogma has no influence on American politics today. I know we're far astray from the Dodgers discussion, but they made a big mistake. A few baseball players, including their star pitcher Clayton Kershaw, spoke out, and a pitcher for the Washington Nationals named Trevor Williams spoke out and told fellow Catholics to reconsider their support for the organization. Um, I don't think this, I honestly, I told you before we started, I don't necessarily believe that most fans there tomorrow night who are Catholic are going to have much to say. I don't think there'll be a protest. 
the mainstream media will, of course, deem it a right-wing fringe militant protest, I'm sure. They'll call it that because uh, that's what they do. And they'll downplay it, and they'll also basically move on and, and promote what they promote. And, we'll, and by Saturday night, no one will talk about it. But it's it's really a bad decision. It's a repugnant decision, I might say. Yes, it's a repugnant decision. It's absolutely a repugnant decision. And you know, I'm 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 a little surprised that that they went along with this. What I would be even more surprised is if the Catholic players on that team, and there are some, Kershaw being one of them. Um, actually show up because i think that the, the way to deal with that is just simply not show up um i think they will i think uh if they didn't they would they would get criticized by the sports media and if they the sports media of course of whom of which i don't think any of them really know or care about this they mostly follow the games and they don't they don't take on conservative causes the sports media as rush limbaugh always used to say is just as left-wing if not more left-wing than the news media yep. they haven't covered it this much and by not covering it they're showing their bias um, I agree. And and that's where you're going to, that's what's going to happen. They're not going to talk about it. The game will go on and the Dodger season will go on. Well, we'll know tonight as this is being aired. We're again, we're recording it on Thursday. This is going to be going up on the site on Friday. We'll know by tonight what the actual reaction is, how many people actually showed up to this thing. Stay tuned. Yeah. Stay tuned. Definitely stay tuned. I'm actually kind of curious about this because I wouldn't have guessed that the Bud Light thing would have gone on as long as it did. You wrote about that at lidblog.com as well. I wouldn't have guessed that the uh, damage to Target would have gone on as long as it did. I understand why those examples are different than, say, the example of Nike. It's a right. different it's a different customer base, right? And I think if you have a woke customer base, that sort of thing might benefit your brand. <laughs> if you don't, uh, it's it's not going to do that. And I, I will just I'll, I'll throw this at you real quickly, and then we'll wrap up. Uh, did you expect this to go on as long as it did? And do you think that this is sort of a permanent now shift among, you know, conservatives and, you know, middle of the road Americans who are just fed up with the, um, this, this sort of didactic being shoved down their throats, especially when it comes to the transgender issues, or do you think that this is a one-off and this is eventually just going to dissipate? <laughs> Well, I don't think the Bud Light example will be replicated as easily because it's it's a it obviously I'm not I don't think plenty of Democrats drink Bud Light obviously, but right. the market is a slightly more blue collar uh, crowd and it's a, it's a cheap low calorie beer that can be easily replaced by competitors. Yeah, so there's a you, lot of competitors in that thing. Yeah, Miller Lights having night. a field day. Yeah. So whether you care about trans issues or not, you crack open your Bud Light at your party. And people might, a few people might say to you, what, what are you drinking that for? You know what they're, what they're involved in? So the solution is to go out and buy essentially the same product right next to Bud Light in the grocery store that's not known for its woke agenda. And I think that's already happening. Yep. Um, when it comes to Nike, it's a little different. Target, I mean, Target's a suburban company that has Democrats and Republicans shopping there. If, if the iced tea is cheaper at Target than Walmart, people might still go there. But I do know a lot of people who are not even political that know about the Target thing, certainly the Bud Light thing. But the Target thing, and they're like, you know what? Walmart is right next door, and the prices are similar, if not cheaper. And I'm not going to have it, quote unquote, shoved down my throat, as people say when it comes to Target's agenda. Uh, although I don't know how long the Target thing will last. A Bud Light, I think, will be a little more uh, have a little more length and longevity. That's because there's just more competitors for exactly. Bud Light. <laughs> There's a lot more choice in that particular market. All right, AJ Kaufman, lidblog.com is one of the places he lands. Aruch Shiva is another place that's arutshava.com i think they have they, they have a regular.com right they they go by they do israelnationalnews.com that's it 
IsraelNationalNews.com. That's right. For yes. those who don't speak Hebrew, it's a little easier. <laughs> Where else can people find you, AJ? I'm writing in for newspapers and magazines and business journals across almost half a dozen states. So if you're in Minnesota or Ohio, Virginia, Tennessee, and you check out your local newspaper or your local business journal on a given week or month, you, you very well might find AJ Kaufman with an article there. Right? The internet's a wonderful thing. You can cover uh, events from around the country and maybe around the globe too. There you go. AJ Kaufman, thanks for being with us again, and we'll talk to you again soon. Thank you. Thank you.